The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. Yes, we're back. We're live. Uh, so thrilled to be here with you. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. Uh, it's been a long, extended weekend off. I hope that those of you in the United States had a wonderful Fourth of July. Those of you in Canada had a wonderful Canada Day. And for those of you around the world that you found reasons to celebrate and be with your family during this last week. Uh, for a lot of us, it's summer, not for all of you. I know we have some viewers in Australia, but, uh, you know, it's it's a time in which to enjoy and be together. But we're thrilled to be back here with you. We've got a really amazing show. A lot has happened since we last left you. A lot of things that we need to talk about. Uh, and we are going to delve right into them today. So, uh, I hope that you'll participate with us. This entire show is meant to be interactive. We want you to participate. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your concerns. Over the break, a lot of you wrote it in and said, hey, I'd like to see a show about this. I'd like to see a show about that. And we've reached out to some of the guests that you said that you'd love to see here on the show. So I do want you to know that we listen. When you guys say, hey, I want to hear more about this, we do. And we also love your questions and your comments all day long and twice on the weekends, right? We love it when you participate and ask our uh, experts and our guests questions that can help you to get to the progress that you want to see because honestly you guys and I keep being reminded of this and our stories today are going to remind all of us of this progress is what it's about right it's so overwhelming sometimes to think about all we need to accomplish both with our kids and with ourselves and then when we think about the world all that we want to accomplish right but if we just steadily make progress it makes a big difference whether it's on the small scale or on the big scale progress is what it's all about and progress is available to all of us so that's what we're working towards but often if you don't ask the question you're not going to get the answer and sometimes you don't even know what question to ask so it really helps so many people when you ask a question because it I can't tell you how many times I have listened to somebody else's question and said oh I didn't even know that was a possibility right so ask questions there is no wrong question there is no stupid question not here right Okay, uh, a couple of other things that I like to remind you that when we ask you to be interactive, there are lots of different ways to do it. So Emily's going to show you some of the different ways that you can participate with us. Well, I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's a lot to do. Really want to encourage you to sign up for our free newsletter that's on the whiteboard that has like our Facebook and Twitter things. Sign up for that free newsletter. We've got some things coming to you. And this month, there was a, a recipe that you couldn't get any other place. 
uh, on the newsletter. We're also going to have some ways for you to save some money because I know how important that is to all of us, right? Uh, but when you're on that homepage, really want you to watch the live show when you can or watch the most recently recorded live show. It's just as good. Even though you might have a little bit delayed gratification in terms of asking your question, you can still ask questions. The live feature, which is on the side there, is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unless we have technical problems, which is very rare. Uh, I shouldn't even have said it, right? Put it out into the universe. But anyway, you see those white boxes, put your cursor there, start typing, hit enter, and it will show up here on the screen. If you're watching a live show, there's about a two minute delay. So make sure you ask early and often, right? Like they say about voting, vote early and often. Ask early and often questions. So I make sure I ask our guests while they're here. A lot of times it pops up right after we've said goodbye to them. I hate that when that happens. Uh, but also if you're watching the recorded show, you can still ask questions. Just make sure you reference. I'm watching when you have Lisa Ackerman on and she just said this. I want to ask Lisa this question, right? So uh, then I know to go back to Lisa and say, hey, Lisa, we had a question about this. Makes sense? Makes sense to me. Okay. But we do want you to participate. It is free. There's no login. Nobody's asking for your personal information. Nobody asked for your credit card. How nice is that? And the purpose for that is for you to feel free to ask the, the questions, make the comments that you want. We're, we get to be real here. We don't have to pretty it up for anybody, right? Act like it's something that it's not. But the bad part about it is, is that I don't know who you are. And if you say to me, I really need help and I need you to get back to me with this information. And if I don't know who you are, then I just have to sit on that and go, oh my gosh, I hope they tune back in and tell me who they are, right? So if you want something specifically, please tell us a way to get in touch with you. That's all I ask. Okay, I also like to remind you at the start of the show, I'm all verklempt already, um, that we have a lot of experts on the show. We've got some amazing people on the show. We have three of the heads of three of the biggest nonprofits in all of autism that are going to be on the show today. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? Um, but I, as I always tell you, I have experts that are on the show galore. I'm not one of them. I'm just not, uh, I'm just a regular Joe or Gina or whatever it is who has a child on the autism spectrum. I'm a former teacher, so I have a, a real passion for educating people and for educating people about autism because my son was diagnosed at two and a half and even though I was an educator, what I knew about autism couldn't have filled a thimble, right? And that was not helpful to me and it was not helpful to my child. And I was so lucky, so lucky, and I'm so grateful every day, you guys, for the people that I met along the way, the parents and the experts that I met along the way who helped me to formulate questions, who helped me to find the answers that we were looking for. And remember that all of us are looking for different answers because this is not one size fits all. Um, so in any case, I'm here to pay forward what was given to me. But remember, I'm not the expert, but we do have some amazing, amazing experts for you. Okay. So having said that, it's time for the jargon du jour. That's right. It is. We like to start the show with jargon of the day to take these words and terms that sometimes make the meetings that we have with experts just exhausting, right? But we have found that if we make friends with these terms a little bit at a time and we get more fluent in them as time goes by, then we can use these terms to our benefit. It saves us time and it saves us money. And again, we get back to that progress, which is the thing that we're all looking for. So as uh, we love Dr. Jonathan Tarbox on the show and as he always says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's what we're doing with these jargon terms. Okay, so today's term is adaptive skills. Now, 
when you go in um, and have a meeting with an expert and they're talking about what skills you or your child has, at some point there are certain terms that are just going to come up, right? They're going to talk about receptive language, they're going to talk about expressive language, they're going to talk about EF skills, they're going to talk about cognition skills, and they're going to talk about adaptive skills. Uh, so let's take a look at what our actual definition of adaptive skills is. It's age-appropriate behaviors necessary for people to live independently and to function safely and appropriately in daily life. Okay, as definitions go, that's pretty accessible, right? But let's take it down even a, a level further to our working definition. We're talking about real life skills such as grooming, dressing, safety, safe food handling, school rules, ability to work, money management, cleaning, making friends, social skills, and personal responsibility. Now, why is it, and that's just an example. There are many, many, many more things that can be included in adaptive skills. So why do we need to define all these things? Why do we need to understand how broad adaptive skills is? Because in our IEP meetings, our children have a right to a free appropriate public education that works on their educational goals, works on their life skills and their ability to get a job. All of those things are entitled. If you live in the United States, your child is entitled to all of those things regardless of their ability, regardless of their age. So when they take a person and they park them in a room and they say that we're going to work on separating red dominoes from blue dominoes for 12 years, it's not appropriate and we're not working on adaptive skills. This is a really tough mix because you want to figure out when do you want to be working on education skills, when do you want to be working on life skills, and when do you want to be working on getting ready for work skills. And this is a tough mix, by the way, for anyone. It doesn't have to be because the person is on the autism spectrum, right? But I think it's a little bit harder when we're talking about the autism spectrum about knowing when do we give, how much do we give to which thing. Um, and especially around those transition ages, we'll, sometimes schools will say, all right, we're going to stop working on the academic goals. We're not going to make that the highest priority. We're going to work on the adaptive skills. And you really want to make sure that you're getting the right mix for the individual. Because if we prepare a person for education and we prepare them to go to college and, you know, they are up to speed and they know their trigonometry and they know their geometry and that's wonderful but they get to college and they can't take care of themselves they can't brush their own teeth clip their own toenails uh, take a shower they can't wipe their own butt they're not going to be successful right um, so and how about just being able to fix something for them to eat so that nutritionally they're maintaining some sort of a healthy diet or be able to take their medication so these are really important things and and they have to be a part of the mix and it has to start early. What percentage, right? It's going to be a design for each individual. But adaptive skills, we don't want to, we, we don't want to say that they're not important. We need to keep them in the mix. Um, it leads to healthier, happier lives for everyone. Part of adaptive skills is being able to teach someone to not spread germs, to be healthy and not sneeze on somebody as they're walking by. We were in an amusement park recently. And I wish that somebody would go around and explain that. I can't tell you how many people walked up to me and coughed on me. And I am relatively sure that they were neurotypical. I don't know what their problem was. <laughs> right? But we all 
all need to learn these things. Okay, so that's our definition today, uh, adaptive skills. We always ask you a question and we really enjoy it when you guys write into us on Facebook and share them with each other. So today I'm asking you guys, what's the hardest part of taking care of yourself? We all struggle with different things, right? There are some things that are just very rewarding to us. Uh, I, I have a niece who loves to go and get her mani-pedi. It's very rewarding to her. And so her nails are absolutely meticulous. Uh, she knows how to make that appointment, get that appointment and, and have that done. Now, at this point in my life, I have to be honest with you, that's not what's rewarding to me, but I still, you know, have to have to maintain a certain amount of nail health, right? Um, we all have different things that we struggle with and we all have different things that we find rewarding. But our question to you, to you today is what's the hardest part of taking care of yourself? I've spent some time thinking about this last week and I... I, I have, have it narrowed down to two that I think are the biggest. There are a lot of things that I struggle with with self-care, but drinking enough water, and I just don't know why I can't kick that. <laughs> I, why, why can't I kick that keister? But I'm making a commitment uh, I've, I have for the last week that I'm just going to drink more water more of the time. Um, and getting enough rest. I have had to break down and take a couple of naps. Uh, this is un, unlike me, but if that's the only way that I can get the rest, then I guess that's what it's going to have to be because we have to take care of ourselves, right? So I'm just keeping it real. Water and rest for me are the number ones that just seem to kick my keister. Um, and I'd love to hear from you guys. What's the hardest part of taking care of yourself? Is it just finding the time? Is, is that what's hard? Let's identify what the problem is. I love Temple Grandin says, we got to figure out what the problem is first before we can figure out how to solve it, right? Wisdom. Thank you, Temple. So what's the hardest thing? Let's name it, right? So we can claim it. And we'll have a moment later on today to kind of check in and see for you guys what you are struggling with. And remember that if you have a child who's on the autism spectrum, that we have to be role models. We have to set the model of this is what self-care looks like. This is why it's important. This is why it's good. We have to teach them the skills to be able to do it, but we have to model the behavior. And for a lot of us autism moms, we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off, not taking care of ourselves and looking at our children and going, why are we not having more success teaching them how to take care of themselves? Oh, guilty as charged right here. So we're going to work on that a little bit this week. So uh, we always have a topic of the week. Can you guess what our topic is this week? Yes, it is self care. We are going to learn how to take care of ourselves. It is the best gift we can give ourselves. It is the best gift we can give our children so that we can be here longer, that we can be here healthier and be here happier. It will prepare us for everything that every single task that we have to take on will be easier and we will be set up for success if we are taking care of ourselves. And again, we're modeling that behavior for our kids, showing them how important it is. This is an area where we have to walk our talk. I have not been as good. And um, so this is as much for me as it is for, for all of you. You're gonna, you're gonna support me and I'm gonna support you. We're gonna take care of ourselves. Okay, I mentioned before that a lot of stuff happened over the long weekend and we've got some incredible guests that are gonna be with us this morning. So in just a few minutes, we're gonna be joined by Nancy Allspot Jackson, who I know normally we don't have Nancy until we have her on Wednesday, but there was a story that has affected all of us very deeply. And I think no one more than Nancy, she 
she is on a mission to do something to help. So Nancy's going to be with us, and we are going to be joined by Lisa Ackerman from TACA. Talk about curing autism. We've had Lisa on the show fairly regularly. She's an amazing woman. Uh, TACA was started in Orange County, and you guys probably heard on the news uh, the story that came out last week about the 11-year-old who was found, um, his family had been putting him in a cage because of his behaviors, and it was in Orange County. So we're going to be joined by Lisa Ackerman uh, from TACA, and we're going to be joined by Nancy Allspot Jackson from ACT Today, Autism Care and Treatment Today, to talk about this topic and figure out how we all need to move forward to help families so that this kind of thing doesn't happen in the future, and figure out what we can be doing to potentially help this young man and this family that thought it was appropriate to put him in a cage. So that's going to be in just a few minutes. We also have some incredible breaking news for you, autism news, uh, from CMS, which is the Center for Medicaid and um, Medicare and Medicaid Services. They put out some guidelines yesterday for how autism should be treated with Medicaid. It's a game changer. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on and a couple of other stories in the news. And then in the second hour, we have Scott Baddish here with us, and he is from the Autism Society. He's going to be talking about a conference that they have coming up in just a couple of weeks that is amazing. He's going to give us some information about that, and we're going to be talking about how Autism Live is going to participate via distance uh, and let you know more about that. But this is an amazing conference that if you can get to it, it's in Indianapolis, you're going to want to go to it. So all of this and ever so much more after these messages. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Code name's good idea, Centurion. We always have this whistle. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all, you're going to be all right, man. This is just the world. You're, this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes Ooh. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. Like a backup plan. Well, like well, plan B. Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid. Or <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not much you can do. There is I stuff like... you can do. Right. That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role-playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role-playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell 
find my mom. My mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right. Scream really loud. Correct. And if that don't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer or a fireman or an employee in the store and tell them and maybe they can help you contact your parents. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee. And then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone over the rules with your kid and you've quizzed them and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules. But is that enough? How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So they'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do. If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. I never, never practiced. You never practiced, yeah. So it don't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me, it's not gonna change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a role play? Like... Role play, yeah. Your child, you're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost, I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in the ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Uh, hello, your child, Ryan, which is <laughs> the thing. Yay! So you tested it out in the store <laughs> to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, yes. we role played it and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. Yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes, ding, no. <laughs> Yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say what? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. 
Welcome back to Autism Live. Really, we have. I was laughing at Ryan. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. We're all (laughs) laughing about Ryan during that break. But uh, really, in my opinion, we sort of have the who's who of autism moms with us today. We've got Nancy Allspaugh Jackson here with us in the studio. She's the executive director of Autism Care and Treatment Today. We also call it ACT Today. Mm -hmm. And then joining us via Skype right now, we have Lisa Ackerman, the founder of Taka, one of the most amazing organizations that's out there for families. Families. Uh, she just is tireless in what she does for families uh, to help them with support. Really, both of you are tireless in your support. I would love to have half of your energy, one of you. So first of all, welcome both of you. So thrilled to have both of you here to talk about this devastating story. An 11-year-old who what his family has, I guess, admitted that they kept him in a cage, yes. uh, had right. autism, and this happened... Uh, Uh, The story just broke last week, and it happened in Orange County. And and Lisa, that is your home base. I don't don't know about you, but when I heard that it was in Orange County, it took my breath away because I sort of felt like this kind of thing shouldn't be happening in Orange Orange County. What did you think, Lisa? Uh, I mean, anytime you hear about something like this, I mean, a kid being kept in a cage, you're shocked. And you're afraid for that family. Like, what led them to want to use that as a solution? In my entire life of working with families, I mean, 14 years working with families, uh, this is the first time I've ever heard someone caging their child. So uh, deep sadness is, number one, what I felt. Yeah, deep sadness. And Nancy, I know this really has affected you. It's, uh, you know, I've talked to you several times in the last week, and it's uh, keeping you up. It's keeping me up, and it's it's had a profound effect on me. Um, number one, I just want to say my heart goes out to the whole family. Uh, the whole family are victims here, in my opinion. And I know the reaction when you hear that a family has kept a child in a cage for whatever period of the day is initially, oh, how horrific, oh, how shocking. But I deal with families every day that are forced to take extreme measures to keep their children safe, themselves safe, and their other children safe because they do not have access to the proper treatment and care and intensive behavior therapy for children that have SIB, self-injurious behavior, Mm -hmm. or aggression towards others. And whether it's restraining children in gentle restraints, keeping them on on a tether, or in this severe situation, I think the first thing we have to do is not judge, not judge, and say what led to this situation and how we can be a solution. Now, I've been doing some investigation. I talked to Lieutenant Dunn, who was the arresting officer in the case yesterday. He's putting me in touch with the lieutenant, uh, the detective on the case. Um, My understanding is the parents have been charged with a felony. Um, My understanding also is that the parents were offered help through the regional center. I do have that on good authority. Uh, as to what kind of help or whether they were able to understand that, what they might need to go through, you know, perhaps it was parent training. We don't know those answers yet. Um, And my concern is that if the child is in foster care, 
we at ACT Today may not ever be able to cut through that red tape to give him a grant for intensive behavioral support to stop these uh, aggressive and self-injurious behaviors. Okay, well, Lisa, talk to us a little bit because, you know, and I shared with Nancy, that's a pretty controversial uh, thing that she just said in terms mm -hmm. of the whole family being victims. I'd love to hear from you because uh, you work extensively with families too. What, what's your What's your take on this? Well, number one, cage caging your kids not the solution. Um, you know, I would hope that anyone who's having issues today um, that we could maybe you know nip the issue in the bud before we look at that as an option. Um, and Nancy, one of the things I've noticed for families since the new California insurance law, and now that law is available, I think 36 or 37 states, um, some families have tremendous issues with co-pays. And even though co-pays should be covered through other means, like Regional Center here in the state of California or Early Start in other states, it's not always offered, nor is it the case that it's available. So again, I know for a lot of my families that we serve that, that have issues without having unlimited income, that those co-pays for each visit are not something they can afford. So that I don't, again, like you said, no judging. I can't judge until the facts of the case come out. Um, I just know that cages are not the solution in an intensive uh, behavioral treatment, medical treatment, and also, you know, getting parent training in there is really the best tools we have to address aggression. And I, I totally agree with that, Lisa. I'm not saying caging is a solution. Please don't get oh, me wrong yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, just saying we don't know all the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we don't know all the facts here. And Lisa, um, in our last grant cycle, we gave 41 military families the funds for copays because they could not afford it, and they were faced facing going into collection and possible dishonorable discharge from the military had we not stepped in to give them the copays. Yeah. This is a huge problem, you're right. But where do they go? I think what we have to say here is that it takes Herculean efforts on the part of a family to get the proper treatment and care. I mean, I was a television executive. I thought I had connections. My son get, didn't get proper treatment until he was five. So if that happened to me, imagine the the family that is number one, an immigrant possibly that doesn't speak the language, uh, has other children, has very limited means, very limited resources. These are not the moms that can stay up all night on the internet and check out Act today in Taka. I'm sorry, they're just not. They're in crisis, and we've got to find a way to reach those families. And I think we're all in agreement about that. And and Lisa, I would love to take a couple of minutes and have you explain to families because I think families, until you don't, until you know, you don't know what's available. So take just a couple of minutes, Lisa, and and imagine you're talking to a family who's tuned in for the first time. What services are available to them if they'll just speak up and ask? Yeah, literally in every state in the United States, there is Early Start or a regional center, which is supposed to properly assess the child, help diagnose, and then define the appropriate treatment tools. We know often that that gets broken down, either they're delayed or the assessment's not exactly accurate or the delivery of the services aren't exactly helpful. Um, the services should be intensive behavioral therapy uh, that's delivered one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, to the individual uh, living with autism. 
and parents should be offered that at no charge to their family. That is something that should occur and that should also come with parent training. But the most important component here uh, to me is behavior is communication. And if 40% of our kids are nonverbal or preverbal, I'm very hopeful. Um, perhaps there's other issues that at play. And, and that's one thing I want to address is the medical side. Absolutely. Talk to us a little bit about what, because I don't think enough families know what is available to them on the medical side. I think they're, yeah. they're told there's only behavioral services and that's all there is to help their kids. So talk to them, Lisa, about what is available medically. Well, Nancy, you and I have talked about this a million times, and Shannon, too. I mean, literally, you know, you go to the pediatrician and you'll describe a symptom and they'll say, oh, that's autism. Well, what we're finding is children with autism have other things going on, comorbid issues that come with autism. And uh, some of the symptoms that we see in kids who have aggression, even if it's fleeting where it comes and it goes, or it's constant, there's almost always a medical root underlying. Um, seizures are common, migraines are common, uh, gastrointestinal distress and other issues are very common. And there are two scenarios I wanted to share uh, with you. Um, two, uh, two really beautiful, wonderful kids that just happened to be diagnosed with autism went from being yummy and fabulous and learning to aggressive injurious to themselves and to everyone around them overnight. And that should trigger something. Now there's two types of aggression, that prolonged aggression that's been there since the diagnosis and then overnight aggression. In these two cases, um, and I hear this all the time, and I'm sure Nancy, you could chime in. Uh, one kid had an uh, overabundance of strep uh, through an infection that was throughout their body in their blood and in their uh, culture on their throat. Uh, and they couldn't communicate how they felt and what was going on. And so it took the parent extreme sleuthing and um, figuring out what happened to their wonderfully behaving child with autism overnight. And then the second case, there was a child with autism, uh, nonverbal, preverbal, uh, age 16, got extremely aggressive overnight. And it turned out uh, he had an abscessed tooth and couldn't explain uh, to the family what was happening. Both extremely heartbreaking situations. But had they listened to the pediatrician early on and said, that's just autism, and not look further, they would have been heartbreaking long-term for those families. Yeah, Lisa, I want to ask you, uh, aside from applying for a grant through ACT Today um, to get a doctor that's going to address these issues, and as you know, we're backlogged. We've got hundreds of families in line waiting for grants. There's just not enough funds. If a family has a child that possibly has a medical condition like severe gastrointestinal, which we often see results in the aggressive behaviors, what can they do? Well, you know, first thing you can do, and these are, I know are available on the TACA website or the American Academy of Pediatric Standards of Care for Autism. Uh, you can Google that or find it on tacanow.org, pull it out, print it, and highlight it and have a conversation with your pediatrician, the one that's covered by insurance. And if they're not comfortable with doing a full uh, battery of tests and evaluation to please ask for a referral covered by insurance. There's autism treatment networks across the United States. There are two of them that are actually really thorough and wonderful uh, in Boston, uh, the Lurie Center and, and University of Arkansas. 
uh, UCLA out here in California is stepping up and doing an incredible job to uh, understand gastrointestinal issues, but it's metabolic, neurologic, immune, and uh, gastrointestinal that needs to be evaluated in these cases where we go from, you know, great kid to aggressive. So you should be able to work with insurance coverage. And, it, and at this point, everybody should have coverage. It will, you know, I, I know all the coverage isn't the same, but everybody should have access to medical insurance. I, I guess I still go back to the parent that has no resources, the mom that's working three jobs, the husband might have, you know, flown the coop because he couldn't handle. I, I'm just t talking about the families I, I deal with. Yes. And the reality of those families Finding and doing the research and doing all this, I'm telling you, is slim to none. We've got a big problem with getting the word out. And I salute you, you know, Lisa, you and I work together. We give every family that applies for a grant a TACA guide. Uh, we tell every family, get a TACA support group. That is one of the number one things we do with our grant recipients. However, I feel like there is a whole group of these parents out there that are just not able because of the stress level on their family no. to be the kind of moms we are and often work with okay so yes and I agree but here's the thing for me is that if we empower those families and tell them there is hope there are people who will listen there are places that you can go you can go to the TACA website 24 hours a day seven days a week you can get a TACA mentor that can help you through this kind of thing and that doesn't cost you anything that I would also I would encourage and I Shannon sorry to dive in there no, but to go call, to call the toll-free number or hit live chat on Taka's website and and live chat is is open most hours of the day including into the night um, so what I would recommend is if you don't have the ability to do the research but know there's an underlying issue just reach out for help yeah and that can happen and you can do it through email phone call or live chat that you're experiencing these symptoms in their kid and you need a referral. And I believe that each one of us had a moment when we were overwhelmed and the ship was sinking and we didn't think we were gonna make it. Absolutely. And the thing that happened, I know, I think I know for all three of us is that we got a glimmer of hope that came in different ways, mm -hmm. in different packages, but a glimmer of hope of there are people who have some answers, maybe not all the answers, but some answers. And, and I think that the three of us and everybody who's listening who has that glimmer of hope that we have a responsibility to share it and and pay it forward and i know you two do i i always want to walk in your footsteps the two of you to share it, but i'm asking everybody who is hearing our voices share that message let them know where you got the help i didn't know about the regional center until somebody told me and i didn't hear about it from my pediatrician i didn't see it on a billboard Neither did i i didn't find it on the internet i found it from a parent who said to me this is what you need to do i didn't hear about regional center uh, i was told by the school district when my son was uh, first diagnosed misdiagnosed with pdd nos that the regional center provided everything that was non-academic like horseback riding and gymnastics nice huh so i didn't look into it and then i went to when why it was for i went to a conference and i heard dr doreen grampache and andrew levinson a wonderful who we've had on this show mm -hmm. biomedical doctor and i immediately started working to get Wyatt uh, under Dr. Levinson's uh, care and immediately started trying to get through the card. It took another 
a year before I was able to access card services. So I'm also saying that families have to be persistent. Yeah, they do. Getting through to get the information is, you know, my expression, dog on a pork chop. <laughs> and if you're, a, if you're a parent out there, you've got to make these calls to the regional center over and over and over again, sometimes yeah. to get an appointment, right? Absolutely. And um, the other thing is that a lot of these great doctors that do treat autism, unfortunately, do not take insurance. So in those cases, we, at Act Today, we do give grants. If it's a severe case, we call it an SOS case. Mm -hmm. uh, we consider those cases first, and you can apply for a grant through act-today.org. Um, like I said, we have waiting lists of hundreds of families, but we will take into account if there is an extremely uh, a dangerous situation where it's life-threatening to the child or the family, we'll put that first in line. And, that, and in both the cases that you were talking about, Lisa, were those families who had the children who had suddenly become aggressive, uh, if they didn't have access to, to health care or they don't, can't pay the copay, Act Today is a wonderful way to get about go about getting the funds to be able to pursue that sort of help, correct? Yeah. And, you know, I think just any parent, whenever you feel something is different, you know best, and to pay attention to that. And if your current uh, physicians can't help you, ask for a referral and, and get that referral so you can get the help that you need. And call Taka if you need a referral to refer to. There we go. Now, we should take a break. We've gone way too long without a break, but Lisa, right. can you stay with us or do you need to go? No, I'm good right now. Okay, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back with these two incredible ladies to figure out what we can be doing, all of us, today. And, and Nancy's going to talk a little bit about what, she, what action she's taking to try to get a grant to this young man and the caretakers of this young man. Stick with us. Welcome back to Smarty. Today we're going to be making homemade glow-in-the-dark bouncy balls. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are two mixing bowls, something to stir with, measuring spoons, borax, cornstarch, water, glue, and glow paint and food coloring. So step one, you're going to take one of your measuring bowls and you're going to measure out half a teaspoon of borax, four tablespoons of cornstarch, and four tablespoons of water. Then you're going to mix that all together. I'm going to set this aside. In another bowl, I'm going to mix my glue and my glow-in-the-dark paint and any food coloring I want to use to make it a special color. two separate bowls with the mixtures in them. Now I'm going to put them together, letting them sit for the next 15 seconds, and then I'll stir them together. It's important that you let them sit for a moment before stirring so they can do their magical thing. Now that the 15 seconds is over, I'm going to stir together the mixture, making sure to stir thoroughly until I can no longer do it anymore. You'll see what I mean in a second. Now that I can no longer stir it, I'm going to start rolling around in my hands to make a ball. And voila, very own homemade fancy ball. Woo! Well, I hope you had fun with this activity today. Until next time, drop down, guys. Can you see me flying 
by your side. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have two amazing autism advocates, uh, autism warrior moms with us. We've got Lisa Ackerman with us via Skype, and she is the founder of TACA, a really amazing organization. We encourage you to go to TACANow.org. Is that correct, Lisa, org? You got it. Okay. TACANow.org. Check out the amazing resources that are available to you there that Lisa has spearheaded. It's it's quite amazing. And then we also have Nancy Allspa Jackson from Autism Care and Treatment Today. She's their executive director. Uh, I think the most incredible uh, organization that's offering grants to families because they offer grants for the things that the families need and ask for. It's not a one-size-fits-all of, you know, we're just giving out iPads. You can apply for a grant. If you need help getting that biomedical help for your child, you can apply for a grant for that. You can apply for fencing if your child is uh, at risk eloping. for eloping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and a wide variety of things in yeah. between. So um, two amazing women who make a difference every day in the autism community. Thank you, Shannon. I'm proud to be in the same sentence as my friend Lisa Ackerman. Yeah, well, I'm just proud to be sitting here with both of you. I just hope <laughs> I, I, I want to seep up the energy. Um, so I, I know how tireless the two of you are. And you how are, tired the two of us. <laughs> well, I'm sure you are, but you get it done. It's impressive. Okay, so we've been talking about this yeah, the coffee. Uh, we've been talking about this really horrifying uh, case of the 11-year-old that the parents have been arrested because they admitted to, uh, from what we're hearing, putting their 11-year-old who's on the autism spectrum and has violent behaviors in a cage. And we don't know. Uh, the family doesn't speak very good English. There were translators being used. We have conflicting reports about was he in there for hours at a time or days at a time. We don't have good information about that yet, but just the know, idea of the cage. Yeah, but Shannon, we do know that the child was well-nourished, yes. well-dressed, and apparently no signs of abuse. I have to stress that because that's what I heard directly from the police, uh, the lieutenant involved yes. in the case. But I, I just want to be very clear with everybody who's watching, it is not, and, and Lisa had already said this, it is not a solution to put your child Never. in a cage, mm -hmm. ever. ever. There are other resources available. We understand, and Lisa, you were saying before that, the, the, why don't you tell everybody what you were hearing that the family's sort of response to why they were putting him in the cage. You know, and, and this came from a few initial reports, so I think four that uh, basically said the same thing, that the family uh, caged the child to protect the child from themselves and to protect the siblings in the home from uh, aggression. Right. And so. and I think, you know, some people hear that and it sounds like, oh, well, then, you know, maybe their motive was not horrible, but we can't stress enough, this is not a solution. It is not okay to put your child in a cage. Um, we're not passing judgment on this family. We want to no. be able to help everyone to get access to the resources that will help you to know what to do so that you don't need to put your child in a cage. Um, and so that's where we're going to take this story now. Now, I know Nancy you have been hard at work trying to figure out how you can help this individual child yes. and this family. And I want to give a shout out to our friend Christina Adams, um, who is who the author of A Real Boy, yes. who is another great autism activist and advocate. And she has been helping me uh, get through to some people in Orange County who have been dealing directly with the case. Um, 
Here's what we know now is that the parents have been charged with a felony. Uh, the child has been put in foster care. Uh, Act Today is trying to get an emergency grant to this family so we can give the family intensive behavioral support, not just the child, but the parents. Teach the ch parents how to deal with the, self with the aggressive behaviors and then have a therapist work directly with the child to uh, help the child learn other coping mechanisms besides aggression. Okay, this is probably going to be very intensive because this child has probably been doing this a number of years and it's probably extremely imprinted right now in him. Um, the issue now for us becomes that once you reach a crisis situation like this and the child is put in foster care, it's going to be virtually impossible for us to give a grant to a child in foster care because of the privacy issues. And it makes it hard. It makes it hard. And um, I don't know how many of you out there remember the case of little Joshua Robb who was lost up in the mountains of Big Bear for, gosh, over a week. And um, in that situation, uh, as soon as Joshua was found, uh, I was on a live report with Colleen Williams. And when the parents came out of the hospital with Joshua, we promised them a grant. They were overjoyed. Uh, the following week, the child was taken from the parents and put in foster care. He's been there for two years. And they just got him back two weeks ago. I just spoke to a documentary filmmaker yesterday, and not to get off on a tangent, but now we're going to be able to offer uh, support to that family in the, in the form of a grant. But we don't want this to reach a crisis point. That is why it's so important to say it's never an option to put your child in a cage. It's never an option to tether your child in the yard. Yeah. It's never an option to do these things because once your child is taken away from you, it's going to be next to impossible for Act Today to help in the form of a grant. Right. And, and you were talking before, uh, Lisa, about asking for help and how important it is and uh you were saying it's it's not an act of weakness to ask for help you know and, it, and it's not an act of weakness like you said but it's also easier to get help before it escalates to a, you know a code red fire uh you know when it's an extreme situation it's really hard to provide the assistance like nancy indicated it is it just really is when you're you know, in the hospital or, you know, the police are coming or CPS is knocking on the door, that that's the hardest time to help a family uh, because it's escalated so far. So the goal, and I know this is counterintuitive, is to get help before you need it and, and to make sure things are in place and to be part of a community where you're going to get the assistance long term. And that's what ACT and TACA do is really just connect people to resources and, and the assistance they're going to need so it doesn't escalate to, you know, a code red. And so wherever somebody is at, whether they're the first day that their child has just been diagnosed or they've got a 16-year-old that they've been seeing some violent behavior, tell us again, Lisa, what the resources are and how they can access information from TACA. Yeah, well, we, we have a toll-free number, so that, that may be one way for families. We answered uh, 35,000 incidents of support last year. Uh, it's 855-726-7810. They can go to the TACANOW website, TACANOW.org, T-A-C-A-N-O-W.org, and click on live chat, email, or the phone, um, you know, accessing us. You know, we, we will get back to you and, and connect you to someone that can help. And I want to say if there's a language barrier, 
um, and a family needs support from ACT Today and they are in an emergency or pre-emergency situation, we do have a Spanish-speaking grant assistant, Chrysia Avalos, mm -hmm. and they can call our office at 818-340-4010 and ask for Chrysia. She will speak to you in Spanish. We do have that language covered. Mm -hmm. um, it is often more difficult for parents that don't speak the language. Um, the regional centers, they're going to have to be persistent with regional center to get someone that can help interpret for them if they don't speak the language. Do not be put off by the fact that if you call and you, you're, you don't understand, it is your right to ask the regional center to have someone support you in speaking the language. Absolutely. And we want to take just a second to say you can go to act-today.org uh, and find out more information about ACT Today and, and about applying program. for a grant. Mm -hmm. You have different kinds of grants yes, because do. you have grant phases where yes. you can you get a month where you can apply. Right. We have um, quarterly grant dispersals. But then you also have those SOS grants that, that don't can, have to wait. That we can, uh, you know, the executive board can approve them in, in the case of the child in Orange County, that's what we're trying to do if we can actually get through to give this child yeah. a grant. So if you're watching and you are having a problem with your child and you, you know, whether you are at crisis this moment or you feel like you're going to get there if you don't have any help, you need to pull yourself up today and have the strength to ask for the help. We've got two incredible resources available and you don't have to pick and choose between them. Apply to both of them. We work together, hand yes. in hand. I also want to bring up something that has been very effective in the past for us. Mm -hmm. um, we had a child in extreme crisis uh, who originally was from Uganda. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked to get the child here with the, US, with the Ugandan embassy. And once we had him here as residency, because we help families here in the U.S. Um, we did not have the funds at that time that we wanted to hire an advocate for this child to represent the family in getting the child the best services uh, through regional center and the school district, as well as getting intensive behavior therapy. Through my church, we threw a fundraiser. Uh, the Christmas offering, actually, it was the Christmas offering from my church. We raised $40,000, which was given to ACT Today. Now, we can't give money, we can't raise money for one specific child, but right. it went into the card, at, uh, the ACT SOS fund, uh -huh. and we were able to hire an advocate for that child. We were able to get him intensive behavior therapy. He is now in an L.A. public school. He is writing his name. He has become verbal, and this was a child that was being beaten to death in Uganda okay yeah. so miracles can happen they do. and I will tell parents if you throw a fundraiser and you do it for our act SOS fund it can benefit the child we can earmark funds for an emergency case okay so there we have it lots of different ways lots of different things that you can do and I also Lisa I want to I want to end by talking about the the Taka guides uh, for people who are out there and aren't having a crisis right now but want to be as prepared as they can uh, take just a second to talk about those guides and how they're available to people yeah, we have Autism Journey Guides, uh, Volume 1 for Early Childhood, so that's meant from, you know, 1 to about age 10. And then we have our Teen and Adult Guide, Volume 2, from 11 and up. They're free at any TACA meeting that you go to. Um, if you can't make it to a meeting, uh, you can purchase it online. If you can't afford it, there's a scholarship pool to have it shipped to you. 
Uh, so it's $15 uh, for people who want it to deliver to their door or they can apply for a scholarship at TACANow.org. It's amazing what both of you do. I'm, I'm so proud to be in your company, and I, I know that it's you know one family, one child at a time, but you guys make a difference every single day. I salute you. I thank you both, and thank you for shedding some light on this so that we can all start to move forward and be hopeful after this, this terrible, terrible story. Shannon, thank you for the information you give families every day. As I, before I came on, I was just listening to you talk about adaptive skills, and I I'm in awe of you, and I am. <laughs> I just want to say thank you. It's wow. just time to salute you for the information you give families sitting here behind this desk. And, you know, it's so important. And, you know, I think you're right. And I know, I know Lisa, and you both know this quote, and it's from Margaret Mead that says, uh, never doubt that a small, committed group of citizens can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And I think we have to keep that in mind when we're looking at these really enormous challenges facing our autism nation, but we have to remember that it all starts with us, right? Absolutely. So thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time to be with us. And salutes back to both of you guys. I wish you could be there to hug you and say the same. Mm -hmm. Big we'll hug air hugs. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. We, uh, and thank you for being here. We're going to take a break and go to the A Word. This is the ongoing documentary that's being made here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Follows a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. We're following this series, and at this point in the series, he's had quite a bit of intervention. He's made a great deal of progress. It doesn't mean that everything is taken care of. This is why this intervention takes a while. There are always things to work on and then they grow and there's more things to work on. So take a look at what's happening with Jack Riley. Then when we come back, we're gonna be joined by Scott Baddish from Autism Society of America. And we're gonna be talking about their conference that's coming up at the end of this month. Lots of good information available to you. So stick with us, here is the A Word. He's a happy, fun kid, and he was a happy, fun kid when he was diagnosed, too, and I don't think at the time we really understood that you can be happy, fun, and still have autism. He's sort of giving us a hint that uh, we don't need to worry so much that he'll, he'll conquer whatever it is that he's dealing with. Uh-oh, that could be interesting. Oh, no, the duck fell. You're okay. Okay, buddy. Daddy will hold it. Let's try again. Let's try again. I know that it's very important to him, whether he knows it or not, that he has both of us in his corner. So for the dads, that's all I would say is be in his corner, do the best you can. And if you screw up, just be involved. You're going to make mistakes, but just be involved. It's not going to go away. And, and quite frankly, you're way more valuable to helping him than you think you are in the beginning. I, you know, there were times I thought I'm useless, and that's gone away. Sleepy too. Wake up. Wake up, but I'm sleepy. The 
he's just really clever now. More creative when he's playing. He solves little issues or problems that get in his way. And he just smiles a lot while he's doing it. So we think he's enjoying it. Yay, This is Jessica's first attempt in teaching Jack Riley how to gain attention. At first, Jessica tempts Jack Riley with an item he wants, then prompts him the entire way so he can practice and learn an appropriate way to gain attention. Look, do you want the fire truck? Look, look what I have. Do you want it? Yes. Okay, do this, look. Say, Jessica! Good job, try again, ready? Ready? As Jack Riley learns how to gain attention, Jessica's prompts will fade until he does it independently. as bad as it gets and you know we've caught it then we're great I think what I didn't realize is that there's always going to be new things that he's gonna encounter there's always going to be new behaviors that he discovers and that's part of being a kid as well as the mm. autism no Welcome back to Autism Live. Just wanted to talk to you briefly about this wonderful series. That is the A Word. It is available to you on their very own YouTube page. And this is a tool. We talk a lot on the show about tools. And there are so many different tools that can be used in so many different ways, depending on the, it's not one size fits all, but the, the way in which you need to go about achieving progress. So just want to go over some of the different ways you could potentially use this tool. But every time I meet people, they tell me they use it in different ways. So, but uh, why? 
watching this series and seeing what an early intensive behavioral intervention is like, it can be very helpful. I don't want you to think, though, that it's this exact way with all children. This is one child, and you're seeing the types of, of things that he's learning. It's going to be different for every single child. And uh, I know many of you have written in and said, oh, gosh, we'd really love it if you would do an A word with an older child or a child who's nonverbal so that we can see how different it can be. And I want you to know that that's one of the things that we're working on. We're trying right now to identify a sponsor who can help us to bring that to you because unfortunately it costs a lot of money to be able to do that. But um, we're really hopeful that we're going to be able to bring something like that to you soon because it's so important for you to be able to see what's possible. I was talking before about that glimmer of hope that each one of us, uh, Nancy Allspot Jackson and Lisa Ackerman and myself felt at one point, you know, there's that moment, the gut punch of, okay, um, you know, somebody says to you, there's nothing we can do, or there's no help, or your child can't come here because they, you know, they can't do X, Y, or Z. And until you have that glimmer of hope of, okay, there are solutions, there are things that can be done. This is, is not a game over. I, I love Lisa Ackerman. She always says, it's not game over, it's game on. That's one of my favorite quotes of hers. So I hope that you will use the A word as just one of the many tools that we try to provide you with to give you that glimmer, to give you that kick in the pants that you need to reach out, ask for the help, make the phone call that you need to make. And if you don't even know which phone call to make, that's why we're here, because we want to help to hook you up with different resources. And one of the resources that we want to hook you up with is the Autism Society of America. And we're going to take a break, and in just a minute, we're going to be joined by Scott Badish, who's going to be talking with us about their newest conference that is coming up at the end of this month. What an incredible opportunity to connect with other people. You know, it, it's so powerful when you get in a room with other people. And again, not one size fits all. They're not going to all have the same situation that you have going on. Uh, they've got lots of individual things going on, but to be with people who get it that you've got stuff going on, to be with people who are hopeful and saying, this is what I'm doing and this is the progress that I'm seeing, to hear speakers like Temple Grandin, they're going to have Temple Grandin at their conference, to be able to connect with people at that level, it's priceless. It's an opportunity um, that if, if you have the ability, and we don't all have the ability to get there, right? But if you do have the ability to get there to that kind of a conference, to this particular conference, want to encourage you to be able to go. And we're going to be talking with Scott about what the realities of that are. If you don't have the ability to get there, uh, and we thought, darn it, we thought that we were going, um, that Autism Live was going to be there on the scene covering it live. That hasn't worked out uh, due to circumstances beyond our control. But we're going to be bringing you snippets um, the whole week, interviews with people who are there and experiencing it, people who are there and speaking there. So we're we're going to try to share as much of the conference as we can virtually with you and with ourselves. So uh, really an incredible opportunity. want to encourage you to, um, I've, I've gone to it on my phone here, go to autism-society.org. Um, and when you go there, you've got several, I'm there right now on my phone. Um, there's the place where it says National Conference with a, a lovely little ribbon, and you can click on that and get a bunch of information to be following along while we are talking to Scott Badish. So stick with us. We are going to take a break, and then hopefully we're going to be back with Scott Badish from the Autism Society. 
Talk of Facts. Welcome back. I'm Lisa Ackerman. I'm here to help answer some of the most common questions uh, that come up on your autism journey. And this one's my favorite one. I'm out of money. What do I do? Um, well, I've yet to meet um, any family with autism that maybe once had money. By the time autism is rolled through their lives, their money is pretty much uh, uh, gone to the wind. Um, so what I always like to tell families is we've spent a great deal of time on a whole on a budget series. Real life, you know, practical guidelines for every situation you'll come across in autism. The series includes everything that you need to know about therapy and who pays for what. Autism insurance and healthcare reimbursement tips and tricks. There's an entire white paper on that. Uh, let's not forget medical intervention unique to autism and the common things that you need to do and how you can get those uh, common comorbid issues covered through your health care insurance plan. Yes, that's possible. Some of the other great uh, on a budget series also includes, you know, how to homeschool your child, what to do if uh, schooling is not currently working out within the school right down the street. And the last one that's the most important to me is how do you feed these kids um, all of their allergy friendly foods without going bankrupt? Well, that's easy. Um, the last and most important paper Taka wrote was how to feed a family of four um, on the autism, gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free diet for $320 per month. We know how to do it. Um, we've assisted families uh, living on food stamps, and so we know the resources. And then we also provide some great tips on what's available through public assistance and also what are the current grants available through ACT Today or other foundations out there serving the autism community. We keep a current list. Currently there's over three dozen national organizations providing financial aid for families living with autism. So if you're out of money, don't let that be the barrier for success. Taka can help you with our entire On a Budget series at the Taka website, takanow.org. And we'll see you back at the next Taka Fact. What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, about that one. <laughs> trying to uh, just uh... Jeez, let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another, it's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope.
Welcome back to Autism Live. We're so thrilled. We have on the phone with us right now Scott Baddish from the Autism Society of America. Welcome, Scott. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be back. Well, thrilled to have you here and really want to take a couple of minutes to talk about your 45th annual conference for the Autism Society. I can't believe you've had 45, well, 44 of these before. This is amazing to me. Yeah, it's the longest running um, national autism conference in the nation, I think, in the world. It's harder to find that out, but it's um, it's been going on for 45 years, uh, originally set up um, in in um, 1969 um, by parents who um, wanted to have a once a year gathering of parents particularly and other family members to talk about autism to see what resources are available when, when so few were available at that time and uh, to learn from each other it has now uh, become a, a great uh, three-day conference uh, where we get over a thousand people uh, parents family members uh, individuals on the spectrum are a large Part of our population who attend, and um, and the um, and professionals. So it's it's a great conference. And so this is coming up fairly quickly. We're you're starting on the 23rd, and it goes through the 26th of July. Right. It starts on the night. It's in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the um, Indiana Convention Center, um, which is just a wonderful venue, and it's a great city to have a conference. It's, uh, it's we have a great autism society serving Indiana. Um, and we start the night of the 23rd with an opening reception and end at about 2 o'clock on the uh, uh, Saturday the 26th. And um, we have uh, close to about 90 breakout sessions um, and um, uh, three uh, keynote general sessions. Uh, Temple Grandman will be speaking, uh, Sharon Lewis, who's the um, director of the uh, federal department that oversees disability services, will be speaking and um and we can have a very high level panel on adult services at one of our general sessions plus we give out awards um uh, to uh our self-advocate of the year or the volunteer of the year or the employer of the year and uh, the book of the year um and a number of other efforts so it's a great conference absolutely amazing and so give us an idea who is this right for well, it's right for anyone, as I say. I mean, it's it's right for a, 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 you know. Let's look at each group. Uh, individual with autism, uh, we we get a large group of individuals. There, are, our sessions are geared for each group of people, um, and we encourage people to, you know, to, to commingle in those groups because they can all learn from each other. But uh, a lot of good uh, sessions on. Um, on self-advocacy support, how uh, um, uh, opportunities and ways for people with uh, autism to advance their uh, quality of life. Uh, for family members, it's good because family members come and learn about uh, uh, different uh, support services are available, different uh, uh, things that are effective. They learn from each other. Uh, they network. Uh, they hear good speakers, educators talk about uh, what's working and not working. Uh, we have a large group of professionals in the field, uh, anywhere from teachers to social workers to caseworkers who come and um, learn um, in their sessions about you know, what other states are doing, what they can learn from each other, um, and uh, also what's, uh, you know, what's the, what's the uh, different uh, new strategies that are working in helping address uh, uh, someone who has autism maximize their quality of life. And then we have a lot of people who just are, are community people. They want to know how they can make their community strong and better places for people with autism to live and thrive. 
I, I just think it's a remarkable opportunity for individuals who want to get an injection of hope and a sense of community to be at this conference, to partake of what you guys have there. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like Disneyland for autism. There are going to be way too many things. You're not going to be able to do it all. So you're going to have to pick and choose about what, what's the priority for you. But uh, I don't think there's going to be a dull moment for what you guys no. have, you've, what you've packed into those days. It's really, really amazing. I like your uh, approach about Disneyland because it's true. People say they wished it was longer or, you know, I wish you ran these sessions till midnight. And, you know, we say, no, people got to get some sleep. Yeah. But um, but it's, it's uh, but we don't have waiting lines. So that's, you know, there's no, yes. <laughs> we usually fit everyone who needs to be in a session in the room because the rooms are pretty big. Um, but the other thing the conference does, and you, you touched on this, is that it, it's a great way for people to come together and be proud of what they're doing. Um, it, it's great when we uh, all celebrate our successes together and, and, and the strength of coming together. So uh, there are people who may not have been to all 45 conferences, but they've been to a significant number of and it's kind of their once a year thing of getting back together. You know, those of us like you and others who work on this daily, sometimes it's not a lot of fun. It's it's uh, dealing with bureaucracy, dealing with uh, the letdowns, dealing with things that don't work. But we sometimes forget about the things that really are working and are helping. And um, and 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 that's what this conference does. It kind of says, you know, when we're all kind of having uh, some difficulties or wondering, you know, what the future holds for any of us, uh, this gives us a good way to say it's bright and there's people around you who care about you and want to help you. Um, one of the things we're going to do at this conference, which I think is real exciting, uh, Ruth Sullivan, who's to me the hero of this organization, is a, a lady who just celebrated her 90th birthday, and, and she is uh, one of the original founders of our um, Autism Society of America in 1965. And um, on Friday, the uh, 25th, at, at our general session, uh, she's going to be interviewed and talks about talking about kind of what she dealt with when her son was diagnosed back in the early 60s, when there was nothing, when it was allowed, when schools were legally allowed to discriminate against people with autism, when, you know, when, when the doctor, and it usually was a doctor who diagnosed you, told you, you know, please put your child in an institution and visit him or her once a month. Mm. And she said no. Um, and one of the things we want to do is is never forget those those people, those pioneers who who opened the road for us. Because sometimes we get mad, um, and we deal with a lot of younger parents who sometimes don't realize that there's people who open those gates for us um, who we have to celebrate their lives. And um, that's the part of the conference I'm just really looking forward to. And and, and to hear Temple Grandin, who we our first speaker, you know, she's the rock star, and she just you know inspires and this shows everyone the beauty of autism. Well, I love this, Scott, because, you know, I'm a big believer that you have to know where you've come from in order to know where you're going. And, and I, and I think it's amazing that you're going to, you're going to salute, uh, and, and talk about the pioneers because, uh, it's chilling to me when I think about what autism was like 45 years ago. Exactly. You know, and I think one of the things we're going to challenge people is to ask, you know, and I ask myself a lot, if if uh, my son, who we learned of his diagnosis in 1996, if if we had been in 1960 and learned of a diagnosis, what would I have done? You know, mm -hmm. those are hard questions. I'd like yeah. to think I would have done what the Ruth Sullivan's done. 
but you know um you know the fact is that we still have so much more to do but you know we sometimes forget those those pioneers who said no i'm, I'm you know my son is entitled to, or my daughter is entitled to an education god darn they're going to get it yeah <laughs> and guess what now now every child with a disability uh, is assured of an education, and if they're not, uh, the school districts get in time, get in trouble. Right. And should. Well, and I, and I, of course, I we love Temple Grandin, and I, I say on the show frequently, if you have an opportunity to see Temple speak in person, there's nothing quite like that. It's something that we all need to treat ourselves to. Uh, while you know, and Temple is very healthy, and uh, and we have every reason to think that she's going to go on speaking for many years. But I, you know, I do encourage people make sure that that is it should be on your bucket list and this is a great opportunity to see her speak and get to have all these other things happen so scott talk to our viewers about how do they register for the conference how do they go about getting there well you know if you go to our website www then the word autism with a dash and then the word society.org um, on our homepage, it'll come up conferences click that and it tells you how to register uh, there's registration fees of, um, it'll show you that there, we are very inexpensive compared to conferences but we as much as we love to put the conference on for free we can't uh, it gives you information of hotels we have three hotels that are serving as conference hotels for those who need to stay over um, you know in Indiana Indianapolis is a wonderful city to visit it's um it's got great restaurants and great uh, things to do we're going to have a host city event to take everyone to the ballpark where we're going to have an autism friendly night at the ballpark Yay. Um, and um, but it, it's um, and it's also not a very expensive city to fly into now granted it's two weeks away for those who haven't registered but it's um it's a it's a very good strong midwestern city um you know it's it's in the midwest if you're you know so much is within an eight-hour drive so if you could drive that's great too yeah. you're but kind of in the middle good. it's a kind of equal opportunity yeah. for everybody yeah <laughs> it, it's a, it's a, it's good and i think people will feel you know we do a survey um at the end and and our scores are in the 90 percentile people who felt you know this was well worth the time and their cost and their effort but what people say that was the best thing about it was uh, to be able to learn but also to be able to be surrounded by people who are good but you know yeah. who, everyone in that room not to suggest everyone else in the room isn't but everyone there are people who want to help make people better and, yeah. and to be surrounded by that for three days that's it doesn't get any better it's so powerful it's, yeah that's and that's why we keep putting these on because it's uh you know, we know that since not, since we started, we were the only conference. We know there's a lot of other conferences, but we think our niche is, is bringing people together. Bringing people are not just all family members or all professionals. It's everyone in the room, so it's very inclusive. We have a large exhibit hall so people can see new things. we got a special exhibit room this year with, with robots that I can't wait to see. I, <laughs> so that scared sounds to cool. See. Yeah, I'm <laughs> kind of scared to see that one. But um, it, it's going to be it, it's good. We have some great, great sponsors. Uh, actually, this year we're having a golf tournament uh, uh, being hosted by Liberty Mutual and, um, and Keystone Insurance Group the day before but um we got some good sponsors for our conference ups is uh, signed up carinos uh, the uh, uh just a ton of, of i'm gonna forget ones i feel like one of those stock the race car drivers always announces all his sponsors and forgets one but <laughs> we are just 
it's going to be a great event. Okay. And I I could assure everyone they'll enjoy it and and have a lot of fun. Wonderful. So again, we want to tell people to go to autism-society.org. You'll see that there are tabs there for conferences. Uh, Click on that and you can register to go to that. And we're going to continue to give you information in the next coming weeks, but it is coming up. You should register. Is there a time in which the registration closes? Well, it, it doesn't really close, but as you get closer to the day, it becomes a little more expensive. Okay. And, and for people who are listening in the Indiana area or just want to come for a day, the program is also on the um, the website, and, and there are day day um, call. You know, you can do it for a day, whatever. Wonderful. There's a day registration. So, great. Uh, anyone come, we'd love to have them there. Okay. Well, Scott, we thank you so much for being thank with you. us. Shanna, and we thank, thank you, you for, guys for what you're doing, too. Oh, we are really helping advance uh, so much in autism. You well, guys are great. So. We, we, uh, we're all trying, right? We're all on the same team. So we That's thank right. you so much, and uh, we'll look forward to we'll be covering more things having to do with the conference as it right. approaches and during the conference. But thanks for being with us, Scott. Thanks for watching. Take you care. Bye-bye. Day. You, too. Uh, And that was, of course, Scott Baddish from the Autism Society. Again, autism-society.org, a conference. If you can get there, I guarantee you, you're going to be glad that you did. And if you're going, we would love to hear from you and and maybe talk to you while you're there. Uh, You can talk about the experience there. Be one of our correspondents on uh, man or woman on the street, right? So let us know if uh, you've already made a plan to go. All right, we're going to take a break. And then we're going to come back with some really big uh, news that came out of CMS, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, yesterday. It's a game changer. Stick with us. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it! Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go! Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back. We have an announcement for you today, and I'm going to be honest and tell you that um, a bulletin came out yesterday from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and it is still being combed through by lawyers and policymakers to understand the full ramifications of it. So I'm, I'm just only slightly jumping the gun by talking about it because we don't know the full impact of it, but it appears to be uh, pretty amazing in the scope of what it's going to cover. A 
lot of states have been saying that they were looking for some sort of guidance, some sort of idea from the center, from the government and from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services about what their intent is and should be on what they should cover for autism. So uh, the subject of this informational bulletin yesterday was clarification of Medicaid coverages, uh, coverage of services to children with autism. Doesn't get more specific than that, right? Um, they've got, I'm not, it's a five page document and believe me when I say that, like I said, lawyers are pouring over it to figure out what exactly, but there are a couple of things that really stand out and jump out at just about everyone. That there is a sentence in here that says, states must cover services that could otherwise be covered at state option under these categories consistent with the provisions of 1905A4B4 early and periodic screening, diagnostic, and treatment services. So this is new jargon for us. We're calling this EPSDT. Let me read it to you again. Early and periodic screening, diagnostic, and treatment services, EPSDT. Now, in reading the entire document, it kind of separates into there's regular Medicare, Medicaid, um, that is for anyone who, anyone at all, including individuals who have autism who are 29, excuse me, 21 years and up. And I'll detail in a second one of the things that talks about what should be available for those that are 21 and up. But it specifies that if you are an individual who is under the age of 21, that you should be eligible for early and periodic diagnostic, uh, periodic screening, diagnostic, and treatment services, that EPSDT. Now, it does make the hard line at 21. Um, and it goes into some great detail in this memo, but it says that states must cover it um, if it's in the state option. So we're, you know, this is very interesting. We're looking at how this is going to impact each and every state because, for instance, in California, there is uh, a mandate. So in our, and, and additionally, in our covered California, our three um, <clears throat> Affordable Care Act plans that are available, they did include it in the 10 essential health benefits. So it is covered under those plans. But currently, Medicare, uh, Medi-Cal has not been covering ABA. So this in the state of California could have a huge impact and we're seeing that it has many applications in other states as well different circumstances okay so let's take a second to talk uh, briefly about um, if you are over the age of 21 and they talk about a home and community-based services waiver program um, that allows states to provide allows not must allows a state to provide a combination of medical services and long term services and supports. Services include, but are not limited to, adult day health care services, habilitation both day and residential, and respite care. And that is for both under 21 and over 21. So could be a huge, huge thing for those of you who have children who are over the age of 21. It says states can all also propose other types of services that may assist in diverting and or transitioning individuals from institutional settings into their homes and communities. So that is called the Homes and Community Waiver. Um, and the article, uh, the bulletin goes on to talk more and more about what getting that waiver uh, means. But um, going back to the EPSDT, it says states are required 
to arrange for and cover for individuals eligible for the EPSDT benefit any, any Medicaid coverable service listed in the Section 1905A of the Act that is determined to be medically necessary to correct or ameliorate any physical or behavioral conditions. The EPSDT benefit is more robust than the Medicaid benefit package required for adults and is designed to assure that children receive early detection and preventative care in addition to uh, medically necessary treatment uh, services so that health problems are averted or diagnosed and treated as early as possible. Now, I love that in theory, the idea is if we make sure that we catch all of this autism early and we make sure that we take care of all the medically necessary things that come around autism, that by the time they get to 21, they're not going to need as many of those services. It's preventative care. I, you know, my cautionary statement is for those who are 21 now and didn't get it earlier, um, what that's going to mean for them, and we don't know yet. Uh, it says the role of states is to make sure all covered services are available, as well as to assure that families of enrolled children, including children with ASD, are aware of and have access to a broad range of services to meet the individual child's needs. That is, all services that can be covered under Section 1905A, including licensed protection. Uh, Licensed practitioners services, speech, occupational and physical therapies, physician services, private duty nursing, personal care services, home health, medical equipment and supplies, rehabilitative services, and vision, hearing, and dental services. Pretty comprehensive. Uh, they do go on to talk about ABA, as well as the fact that they are quoted as saying that there are other services in addition to ABA that are being found to be effective and that they want to cover those as well. It, this is a game changer. It leaves room for there to be biomedical help for our kids. It absolutely puts the impetus on the states that Medicaid and Medicare must cover um, these treatments and screening. We are expecting to hear from the lawyers in the next couple of days about the ramifications of all of this, and we will hope to bring in some experts to give you information about what you need to know to make sure that your coverage is seamless and that and or you can get started in your state on um, getting some of these benefits. This again is for Medicaid and Medicare. We have been up in arms for a while now saying that our families that need help the most have been left in the cold in a lot of states, including the state of California. Unconscionable to me that they had services and lost them. Uh, oof, just, I mean, you want to talk about keeping you up at night. I keep thinking about those families that lost their services. Uh, this seems to me something that's moving in the right direction. So we keep our fingers crossed. We wait for the lawyers to tell us uh, what we need to do next. But thank you, I think, <laughs> to the Center for Medicaid and uh, for uh, Medicare services. All right. Uh, other story, if you're looking for some hope, I know we, we need a little hope about this time in the program. Uh, we reported to you earlier this year about uh, a school the Delran School District in New Jersey that had uh, a boy who wanted to attend school with his assistance dog, and the boy is on the autism spectrum. His uh, dog uh, helps, and this the the Department of 
excuse me, the Department of Justice uh, or had reported that the dogs, uh, the boys' service dog alerts uh, about the autism, uh, the excuse me, loss of my thoughts here, that the dog alerts people around them when the child is about to have a seizure. Um, it, the dog provides mobility and body support and also mitigates symptoms of the autism. The dog was trained to prevent wandering, to disrupt stimming, and to apply deep pressure, pressure to, to prevent or limit meltdowns. The mother was exhaustive in contacting the school district and saying, what do I have to do uh, in, or, in order to make it available so that my dog my son and his dog can go to school together and and she did everything that they asked her to do and they still ultimately refused uh and so um lawyers got involved and this school district now has reversed their position on this thank you very much uh it's reversed its policy uh under a settlement um that is with the department of justice and they the department of justice did find that the ban on the dog was in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So they have agreed to allow the dog to go to school and they have also agreed to pay the boy's family $10,000 in compensation. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's a wonderful thing that they are now, they, they under the settlement, uh, the school district was allowed to change its policy without admitting liability or wrongdoing. Okay, whatever you need. Um, but really amazing what the mom had done. I mean, she dotted every I, crossed every T to try to make it happen without a lawsuit. And then uh, there was the, the suit. She even on one occasion apparently had to, uh, the, the child was going on a field trip and the child had to be on the bus. She really wanted the dog to be there on the field trip. So she followed behind the bus on uh, in her car with the dog in the car. So when they got to the field trip, I don't understand why schools do this. Um, I know my son's school did this as well, that if he wanted to go on the field trip, he had to be on the bus. I couldn't drive him and get there. Um, you know, so the child had to be on the bus. The dog couldn't be on the bus, but the mom drove the dog to the field trip. Um, why do they have to make it so hard? Uh, maybe schools will learn from this. Uh, it's a wonderful precedent. The dog is now allowed. The school has corrected its position. And they're going to have to pay a $10,000 um, settlement to the family, which I think is very deserved. So good news. He's going to have his dog in school with him. I think that's a fabulous thing. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about um, some questions that you guys have written in. And we're going to take a few minutes to talk about those adaptive skills that I promised we're going to talk about. So stick with us. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. 
earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. You guys have written in a bunch of questions over the weekend. Um, some of them I'm going to save because we're having Dr. Doreen Grampache here tomorrow for Ask Dr. Doreen. Um, but the ones that are, uh, there's one in particular that's specifically to me that's about toys, and you know I love talking about toys. Uh, okay, so hi Shannon, what type of advice can you give me to help my son with his play skills? He's four and does not play with toys much. And when he does, um, like with trains, it's very restrictive and the same way. Are there any particular toys that my four-year-old might like and are good toys? He has some functional language and does interact with us. He has difficulty with staying on task, eye contact, and following directions. I know you had a special during Christmas that I missed where you talked about specific toys that were good for our kids. Can you give me some ideas? Thank you for your help. Yeah, and I'm going to remind you that a couple of things. We, um, we did do a whole series on toys at Christmas time and all those videos are available for you you can look at them for free whenever you want on um, YouTube you can look at them on I, I think you can look at them on iTunes I know you can look at them on YouTube so I encourage you to check some of those out but let's go down some of the list so one of the things that we want to do when we're looking at toys for a child is we want to stop and consider what do they already really like and if you know that he really likes trains um, then you're gonna work on certain types of play skills and broadening play skills around the toy that he already likes to, to play with. So if he's playing with it in a really restrictive way, and I go back to the A word because most of our kids like trains, right? And you see at one point in the series, Jack Riley lays on his side and is watching the train that way. And the therapist doesn't allow him to do that and says, sit properly or whatever the phrase is, that sit nicely, I think she says to him. And she makes him sit up to do it. And he throws a hissy of all America that goes on for 20 minutes. And it shows the process of how they deal with that by not giving it attention, letting him have his feelings, but then making him sit up. And you have some feelings about it and you go, well, why can't he just play that way? Why do we have to make him miserable? But the point is that if he, if he lays on his side and plays with the train that way, then he's going to miss out on all of the attention things and all the social aspects of playing with trains that are going to come later on and then he's going to miss the next skill and he'll just keep getting behind. So um, watch the A word to see when he does that and how the therapist deals with that. So here, if, if your child, and I don't know what restrictive things your child is doing with the train, but you know, one of the things that we can do is take a toy that they already like to play with. My son used to, at that point, I'm trying to think, right when he was about to turn four, he really liked to take blocks. And we had gotten him um, the Duplos that are the Legos for the younger kids because they're easier to put together. And he didn't have the fine motor to do the small Legos yet. And I have to say... Legos are amazing because you can use them for so many different things. They are the ultimate multi-purpose toy. Um, and now they have them very girl-centric too with the Lego friends. So um, we started with just stacking the, the Duplos for him to make a high tower. And he thought that was great, but then he got fixated on it. And that's all he wanted to do was make a one wide tower of them to see how high it could get. And one of the things that we would do is work on his flexibility and having him see that he could 
do different things with the Legos. And what you do is basically introduce some sort of fun conflict. So, um, for instance, what we would do with my son is that... <clears throat> You know, he would be sitting there and he would be making his stack and then I would sit there with him and I would make my stack. But when my stack got to be four, I would um, take my hand and pretend it was a car and I'd go, or a plane and I'd go and make it explode everywhere. Now, the first couple of times that I did this, he was horrified and cried about it and was like, ah, oh, no, because I'm building blocks. But then he realized, oh, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, and and my husband would get very dramatic with it and make the, the Legos explode, and he would throw himself on the floor, and then my son thought that this was hilarious, right? Now, do you have to do it that way? No, but think about... And if you watch again on the A word, um, they'll show that, you know, he's driving his little car, but he doesn't know what to do with it on the tracks. Uh, and so the therapist will model it and she takes the little car and she brings it up the, the thing and she goes and she's making a noise. So she's modeling what to do. And she even says, now you do it. Um, and he does it. And then she says, yes, that's so great. And then you'll see her at one point introduce conflict. So he's got a car and doing this and she brings her car up and she goes crash, right? It's the beginnings of teaching cause and effect, but you're also working on flexibility and you're showing them that there's more than one thing to do with a toy. Um, you're showing that, oh, it could be used this way, it could be that way. And don't be afraid to be nutty, like be totally, totally nutty. So you're playing with cars and you're doing the different thing with cars and then have it go up your face, right? <laughs> and the child's gonna look at you like, that's outside the rules. But what we're teaching them is that with toys, there really kind of aren't rules um, so that they can be as creative as possible and find different ways to use something in a different way. But again, that sort of playful conflict that, especially for boys, they love it when things crash, right? You have to be careful that that's not the only thing you do because then they get into the crashing and then you have to introduce something else. So be creative with the toys. Find other things to do. And if you want to get them interested in art, let's say, and so you get some non-toxic paints or you make some non-toxic paints and you're painting on the paper and they're really not interested, you know, then it's time to paint something on your hand and make it talk. And the child, initially, they're like, you know, you're, what are you doing? I don't like that, right? And But the crazier you get with it, it gets their attention for just a second. And then, you know, I had a therapist who used to draw on my son when he wasn't paying attention. Uh, and, and Jen would just be like, what are you doing? Um, but then he would get his attention back and then he would do something fun with the toy, right? Um, you, you have to get a little crazy and a little fun with the toys yourself and make it look like it's fun um, to get that sort of interaction going. So, okay, so that's taking toys that they already like to play with and, and doing them. And, and we also talked about... Um, Legos are a great thing to introduce it for, and it, you can start with Duplos. Um, you can go to garage sales and or ask your friends, has anybody got some Legos that I can borrow or some Duplos? We already gifted our Duplos years ago, and I, I don't know when we'll ever gift the, he's 11 and we're still playing with the Legos. Um, very age appropriate up until, you know, it starts to get a little nerdy around 12, I'm told, 12, 13, and then they have to play with them in a certain way. But you've got 
tons of years ahead of you where it's going to be very, very age appropriate, especially with the Lego movie that just came out. Like, has he seen the Lego movie? Um, because I have a feeling, I mean, you want to talk about showing you the myriads of ways that Legos can be used. Um, a wonderful, wonderful toy to be used. At four, um, my question is, are they doing anything on the computer yet? You want to be really careful. I don't know that I want to encourage you to do anything that's like handheld video games, but it's it now is a great time to introduce them to a mouse and what a mouse does and to play some fun interactive games on a computer or on an iPad. I don't think I would encourage you to go to something like a play system uh, just yet because honestly, once they start doing that, it's a whole other ball of wax, right? See how many toys you can get on board before you introduce that, right? Because they will get laser focus on that. Um, trying to think of what other toys that are absolutely amazing and interactive. Some kids like um, the Beyblades, some boys. Some like the, I'm trying to think what they're called. They're the little magnetic balls um, that you throw them into a ring and they spring open. Um, I can't think what those are called. Um, it, four is a great time to introduce some of the characters. If there's a show that he likes to watch, um, a lot of times there are little characters to go along with it and you can play lots of games with the characters and you can have them talking. Um, four is a great time to have puppets for boys that's still gonna be age appropriate for a couple of years. We would have play dates and have um, some kids come over that would and they would play puppets and put puppets on and the language that we got out of our son by having the puppets Oh, and we videotaped some of them. He just absolutely loved that. But again, think about what is your child interested in. And the thing that I would always do is that I would take my son to the toy store. I would stick him in the cart and I would start piling toys into the cart and, and watch him. And I would spend over an hour and watch him play with each individual toy. And, you know, there were some toys that he played with it just a little bit and then he was done with it uh, and it was out of the cart. Um, but toys that he would stay focused on for a really long period of time gave me a really good idea of either that that's a good toy or that category of toys. Um, he had, when he was three, we got him a dollhouse and we had the little characters for the dollhouse so that we could teach family and relationships. By the time he was four, he was past that and not interested in that, but he had the little characters. Um, and Imagine Next is a a company that puts out a lot of, he has a, a castle that like folded and there were little pirates and he had a pirate ship. Um, you know, those are really good uh, toys that boys can play together and where they're working on social skills, uh, but they're, they can be very expensive. So I wouldn't get anything like that until you know that he's really into that. Um, I'm trying to think what else at four, because we were not yet into robots at four. But take him, take him to the toy store and just see uh, what else. I always used to love birthday parties because I would ask the other moms, okay, what are the kids into right now? And there was that period of time when everybody was into those little finger skateboards that I never really understood what that was all about, but the boys were nutty about them and it actually helped with fine motor skills. Um, 
you know, if he's into music, there are all kinds of things that involve music. If he's into science, there are a whole line of Uncle Milton toys that have to do with science. Um, oh, it's just amazing the things that are available makes you wish that you were a kid again but all things are not going to be interesting to all kids right some things are going to seem like work to them i think it's really important to figure out what they like to start with and then just keep broadening uh and broadening and broadening but you know if if he's into trains uh and you've already got a train set let's expand what he's doing with the trains um and then get at least one or two more things on but for instance, you can get the Legos and build, um, you know, an arch that the train has to go under, right? Um, and then, you know, it's, it's amazing what you can do. So uh, let me know how that goes uh, and let me know if there's a toy that your child uh, ends up loving. We had a bunch of questions that just come, came in. All right, we're going to take a, oh, we don't have time for a quick break. I'm just going to deal with some of these. No, let's take a break. I can't decide. So I can read through these and see. I think these are ones that we're probably going to save for tomorrow for Dr. Gramshade. Quick break, and we'll be right back talking about adaptive skills. Stick with us. Learn the early signs of autism today, because an early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. With real egg noodles and bite-sized chicken, Campbell's chicken noodle soup is the one kids love. Mm-mm, good. Let's come and get this on. Thanks. Stream your favorite content when you want. AT&T. got about eight minutes and I got about 22 minutes worth of things to do. So I'm going to talk fast. First of all, for those of you who have been writing in, there are a couple of questions that came in today that I'm going to save for tomorrow because I really feel like Dr. Grampache is going to be so helpful. Uh, the person who wrote in about the adult daughter, how do we get her to keep her room clean? It's a mess. Um, I absolutely think that Dr. Grampache can help us with that. The person who wrote in the skills question about uh, when a child, that a lot 
lot of the skills lessons uh, need a verbal response. I'm going to have Dr. Grandpa Shea answer that and make sure you tune in for it because there's a great way that you can use skills even for children who are pre-verbal or non-verbal. Um, for the person who wrote in about the child who seems to be different according to the BCBA and withdrawn at school, great question. We're going to save that for tomorrow morning with Dr. Doreen Grandpa Shea because uh, she's going to give us the best possible answer on those. Also wanted to say that a bunch of you wrote in on the question of the day, which is what's the hardest part of taking care of yourself? And if I were going to condense what everybody said, it's finding the time and the energy and then being willing to take the time for yourself because you feel like when you take the time for yourself, you're taking time and money and energy away from your child. Mm, I think, you know, that's the hallmark of being an autism parent is that we are like that all the time. And it's not just the women. If you watch the A word, the dad says, I feel guilty if I sit and watch 10 minutes of football because that's 10 minutes that I could be working on something with him. We're all going to, you know, carry that with us at all times. But again, I want to make the point that teaching adaptive skills to our children is essential to their success and health and well-being. Absolutely essential. I don't think any of you would argue that with me. And one of the most powerful, powerful teaching tools that we have at our disposal is modeling it. And if we do not model self-care, then we are already letting our kids down. Do we want to raise a child who believes that they should never take time for themselves? Of course not. Of course not. So I am being told, and I am beginning to really see this with my child at 11, is that if I don't take the time, and if I don't demonstrate that it's important for me, I'm failing on two levels. I'm not teaching my child how important it is for him to take care of himself, and I'm not teaching my child how I respect myself. I undermine my own authority with him when I do that. So that when I, when he says to me, well, somebody said this and they don't like me. And I say, you have to be strong for yourself and take care of yourself. He does not, he's not going to believe me because I'm the person who doesn't take care of myself. And I'm also setting myself up for failure when he is 16. I already see this at 11. There are times when he completely and not for lack of perspective taking lessons, right? But he will completely to see, uh, fail to see when something that he has done was not appropriate and not respectful of me. Um, and part of that is because I have not taught him that I respect myself enough to take care of myself. So we all, and myself included, I mean, I'm really, you know, talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you, we all need to start being really good role models of self-care. It's absolutely essential that we do that and it will help us to be there longer for our kids absolutely longer so uh, how do we teach adaptive skills to ourselves uh, to our kids first thing we must do is do it ourselves then we have to make sure here's the tough part are you ready we have to make sure that it's reinforcing to us and that they see that. And then when we're having them learn their skill, that we have to make it reinforcing to them. And I was thinking about this over the weekend because it is time. My son is 11. We are about to start him cutting his own nails. I was like, when do we do this? I guess we do this now at 11. And I have to remind myself because it's not going to go well the first time. I already know this, right? I'm mentally prepared for it. And then if it does go well, I could be surprised, right? But I have to make sure that I have some sort of big reinforcement for him after he does it. So that that he has that first seed of, oh, look, I do this and it feels better and I got a big reward for it. Over time, I'm going to taper that reinforcement. So eventually he's just doing his nails and he's doing it because it feels good and he feels good about himself when his nails are clipped. Um, 
But to begin with, I have to set the tone of, look, this is something that's really good for you and good things happen when you do this. Uh, it's going to be artificial because, I don't know about you, I clip my, my fingernails and there's no brass band and nobody gives me a gift or <laughs> gives me an opportunity to do what I want to do, right? That doesn't happen. Uh, but we, we set up these artificial circumstances to start our kids on a path of finding something reinforcing. We know it works. There's research to show. And we can do that with absolutely anything adaptively. It's really important to stop for a second and think about what are you working on adaptively? Here we are in the summer. What would be a good opportunity to be working on? And really, you ask yourself, what's getting in your way? Is it toothbrushing that's just a super duper pain in your rear end every morning and every night and every afternoon, and you'd like for them to be better? Then target the toothbrushing. Is it, you know, we a year ago started my son taking his own pills. Now, eventually, we'll get to the point where he puts his own pills in his case, but I'm thinking that's a while down the road. But where are you in self-care? If you have a one and a half year old, it's a perfect time to start them on brushing their teeth. You don't have to put anything on the toothbrush and they don't have to do a good job, right? But we're starting. We're starting that path, that message of you're taking care of yourself. We know, we've seen from our kids that when they successfully do take care of themselves, there is a self-esteem that comes with that that cannot be purchased. So if you think, oh, well, I'm just doing this to make their lives easier, guess again. Uh, all you have to do is watch a child who is finally able to toilet themselves and pull up their own pants and you see that they stand up a little taller and they get that grin, I could do it. It makes them feel capable. So uh, maybe this is the summer for toilet training. Uh, you know, maybe this is the summer when you've got a teenage daughter and you start talking about menstruation and how they take care of that before it happens. Oy, maybe this is, you know, when the summer that you start on deodorant. <laughs> it's mind-boggling all the things that there are to work on. Maybe it's time to start feeding the pet. Maybe it's time to start with uh, making the bed. And maybe if it's a four-year-old, it just means them smoothing it out after you do it. We can start anywhere, but it's important that you always be working on two or three adaptive things in a very slow and systematic way so that we're getting to success. Uh, you know, ask yourself what you're doing. And if you can't always remember, it's great to write these things on a post-it note and put it someplace on a kitchen cabinet, on the refrigerator, on the bathroom mirror. If you're working on things that are happening in the bathroom, put them there to write, oh, right, we're working on that today. So that you fold it into your everyday life. Okay, now we're gonna continue talking about adaptive skills, but I wanna tell you about a little bit what's happening later on this week. Uh, tomorrow, we have Dr. Doreen Grampuche back. She's a newlywed. She's here with us. We're gonna talk briefly about the wedding and then she's gonna be answering your questions. Then also tomorrow, <coughs> excuse me, we have Vince Redman. Licensed and marriage, marriage and family therapist will be with us during Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We're going to talk about self-injurious behavior and what it does to the family and what violent behavior does to the family and what we can do from a family perspective. So that's tomorrow. And then on Thursday, we've got some really incredible guests for you. A young woman who is going to be teaching some cooking lessons. Uh, very exciting. Excited to talk with her about that just for uh, young people who are on the autism spectrum. We're out of time. In any case, I'm so glad to be back. I'm glad you're here. I'll give your kiddos a hug from me and I will see you tomorrow. Until then, bye-bye.